You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Kyle Oliver at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I am here with CDSP's interim president and dean uh, beginning in early June, uh, Bishop Kirk Smith. Bishop Smith, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Kyle. It's great to be here, and it's exciting to have the opportunity to talk to the larger uh, CDSP community. Yeah, great. Well, um, I'm sure they're really excited to hear from you. And um, let's go ahead and just start with, uh, you know, start with the basics. Uh, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, uh, I am the retired Bishop of Arizona, the fifth Bishop. I've been retired for three years. And um, uh, originally I came, I've sort of lived in uh, all parts of the United States, except the Midwest, both coasts, but not the Midwest. Uh, I was born in the state of Washington. Uh, my my dad was a Presbyterian clergyman and mm-hmm. later went to work for the Presbyterian uh, uh, administrative uh, machinery, both there and then back east at the, at the headquarters in New York City. Uh, so uh, grew up a little bit in the state of Washington and then moved to New Jersey, where I went to elementary school. And then he, he took a job with the church in Arizona, serving the, the Southwest. And so we moved to Phoenix and went to high school in Phoenix. Um, I went to college at Lewis and Clark College in, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, started uh, I, When I went, I thought I wanted to do pre-med, but then I realized I couldn't do organic chemistry. So I had to, had to switch. And I, w- I always liked history, but I got interested in history, particularly in uh, medieval history, and uh, decided that I would like to do that as a, as a career. So uh, I went to graduate school at Cornell University in Ithaca. Uh, in medieval history, thinking that when I got done, I was going to end up uh, uh, wearing a tweed jacket with leather patches and smoking a pipe uh, somewhere in some nice little New England college teaching uh, teaching medieval history. But God had different plans in mind, I guess. Um, My area of interest was uh, you really can't do medieval history and, and avoid the church. Uh, And so uh, a lot of church history. And the more I got into it, the more I sort of had the feeling that um, God wanted me on the front lines, so to speak, not just just learning about the church, but actually being in the church. And Hmm. so I had an increased sort of sense of call or curiosity about what that might look like. Uh, I had the the good fortune uh, to spend a year in Oxford. Uh, researching my dissertation, and while I was there, I decided that I would live uh, at the at the, one of the seminaries, St. Stephen's House in, in Oxford, mm-hmm. and that was a that was a wonderful experience to be in the Church of England. And uh, I wanted to go back uh, to do do seminary training there, but my <laughs> bishop, in, who was in Arizona, we lived in Arizona then. He said, I, "I don't think that's a very good idea." He said. You'd come back from England with an English accent, wearing a watch fob, and you wouldn't be able to <laughs> anybody. So uh, why don't you come back here and go to seminary? So I did, and I went to I went to Berkeley Divinity School uh, at, at Yale, and then uh, got out and served um, uh, a parish in in West Hartford, Connecticut, and then I was rector at a little parish down on the sh- Connecticut shoreline in in Old Lyme, Connecticut. And then I uh, went from there, a totally a total change from this little New England town in, in New England to downtown Los Angeles, uh, where I was the 
the rector of, uh, of St. James Wilshire Boulevard, which was a big urban multicultural parish. We had, we had 40 different nationalities uh, represented there. It, it, well, you say it, it looked like the United Nations at prayer. And we also ran a day school, a nursery school, a retirement center. It was, it was really quite a corporate sized place, but it was very urban and very diverse. Uh, had, had a wonderful time there. And, um, after 15 years or so, I decided it was time to do something else. And I kind of wanted to be a seminary dean way, way back then and uh, uh, started the process on some of some of those places that were looking for new seminary deans um, that, that didn't work out. And somebody said, well, why don't you run for bishop? And I said, oh, I don't think I'd be a very good bishop. I, I don't I don't know. But they said, oh, I'll try it out. So I ended up as a candidate in Los Angeles and as a candidate in Oregon, and those were not particularly rewarding experiences. I, it, was, it was the hardest thing I ever did to be in those walkabouts. And, and, and when that, th those didn't pan out and, and uh, somebody said, well, you know, Arizona is open. Don't, didn't you come from Arizona? And I said, yes. And they said, well, you ought to put your name in. And I said, I don't know. I, think, I don't think being a bishop is for me, but I did. And, and the experience in Arizona was completely different than the other two walkabouts. And I just felt so good. It just felt right. And that's where I ended up. And I had a, a wonderful uh, 15 years in, in Arizona. Um, when I was thinking about retirement, I thought, well, you know, maybe I can go back and do some of these things in terms of teaching that I always wanted to do. I've always loved teaching, research, not so much, but teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was bishop, one of the things I enjoyed doing was having forums about different topics as I would go and make Sunday visitations. So I thought, well, I'll talk to some of the seminary deans. And I talked to the dean at, at General Seminary. And he said, well, yeah, why don't you come? And you could teach for a semester. And I, that, that would be great. So I did that. And then uh, I, I ended up after that um, at, at uh, was supposed to just be Berkeley Divinity School at Yale, but it turned out to be Yale Divinity School because they needed a medievalist uh, for that year until their new person came. Uh, and now I'm here at Virginia Seminary. Uh, also teaching a, a class sort of related. It's on the medieval mystics, uh, which mm. seems to be very popular, a lot of interest in that these days. Yeah. Uh, and, and now CDSP coming up. So I, I've taught at these three different seminaries in the last couple of years. I, I call it the trifecta, uh, where I stay for a, a semester. And uh, this time, my wife, Laura, got to come. She couldn't come the first time because she had broken her foot. And then the second time, I had to do it remotely because of COVID. But it's it's been... It's been great fun and, and getting to know a little bit about the different seminaries. Each one is different. Each one uh, is is wonderful in its own in its own way. So it's been a it's good been a good experience. And I think I've learned a lot of things that I can bring with me uh, now when I come to CDSP as the as the interim dean. So I think you've you've hinted at this a little and, and touched on it some, but I wonder if you might elaborate on. Um, you know some some more of the ways that your your academic interests and your um, you know parish and diocesan leadership have um, you know what ways you found that they've complemented each other over the years. Mm -hmm. Well, I just like to do both things, and you know, as, as a parish priest, if I was a parish priest for forty years, and uh, um, I, I like the pastoral aspect of that too, and 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 I enjoy I enjoy the excitement of. Um, of teaching and and I found out that 
you know, most of our folks, and at least in the parishes that I served, although they were hungry to learn things, they really didn't know very much about, about their faith. They didn't know very much about the church, really. Um, and so it was, uh, it, it was, it was exciting to, to have, to have that time with them and, and to, to teach them. I think one of the things I probably do, um, enjoy doing, and I think I'm uh, reasonably good at it is making difficult things accessible, hmm. making, making concepts that might be sort of strange or difficult to understand, you know, sort of bringing those down to earth and, and trying to, um, uh, apply those to where people are in the in their in their everyday lives. So uh, to me, that's really kind of the, the the goal of teaching, and that that's what energizes me. Yeah, yeah, and and good. I think good seminary teaching helps students be starting to think about you know how to do that in a yeah as you say in a parish setting and how to make some of these complex um, theological discussions um, accessible for for a wide audience. So, so, for example, I was thinking uh, when I was a parish priest, I used to uh, uh, every other week we would have in church, we would have a little thing called time for tradition. <laughs> and it was oh, a couple of minutes at announcement time where I would talk about some aspect of what we did in the church, uh, in, in our liturgical life or in our involvement in the community or uh, just try to try to tie what we were doing in. To the, to the tradition and to the history of, of the church so that people would feel uh, feel part of that. Yeah. I, I think I probably should add that um, for me, growing, I grew up in a Presbyterian um, household. Both my parents went to seminary. Um, so we talked about religious stuff all the time. And my brother is a Presbyterian clergyman. So you can imagine what Sunday uh, dinner conversations were like at our house. And sometimes the arguments got pretty heated. But one of the things that brought me into the Episcopal Church was the sense of historic connectedness with, with the church. When I, when I was in college, I went through a year or so, of I call it my agnostic period, which I guess a lot of college students do, where I didn't really have much use for the faith, as it were. And, and I thought it was kind of silly and, you know, only, uh, only sort of ignorant people would be Christians or something, some sort of arrogant thing like that. And it was learning about history that sort of brought me back to my roots as a Christian. And I, I felt, I felt those roots particularly strongly in a, in an Episcopal church that was nearby that actually one of my classmates had invited me, invited me to come with her to church for an Easter vigil. And I had never really seen anything like this with, with, the, with the, this wonderful liturgy and art and this beautiful music and that incense. And it, it, was, it was a sort of a revelation for me. And it made me feel like, hey, first of all, Christianity is a viable intellectual alternative. And that there's this whole, um, this whole universe of of worship that involves one's senses, uh, the whole person, the holistic approach to worship that I had never really experienced as a Presbyterian. So it was, I was sold uh, <laughs> from then on. At, at first, I didn't think about ordination at all. I just decided I wanted to be an Episcopalian. Uh, and as, as time went on, I got more and more interested. And as I mentioned before, had that increased feeling that God was calling me to to 
be in the church and then eventually to be in some leadership position in the church rather than just studying about the church from a distance. Yeah, yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit and, uh, you know, start to, uh, well, I guess, continue sort of narrowing in on the the um, on this new role that you're going to have uh, um, uh, with the seminary. And I thought we'd start by just your take on um, what do you think are some of the important challenges facing uh, churches right now uh, in a way that is sort of relevant for how we do things in seminaries? Yeah, I, I think uh, that discussion is very much on everyone's mind, particularly now as we sort of try to retool after COVID. I think you would have gotten a different answer maybe to that question uh, before COVID rather than after. But I think still the main challenge that we're going to face is, is as a church, uh, making the main thing uh, the main thing. In other words, to, to really understand that, that the church is by definition missionary and how do, we do, how do we bring the good news to the people of the 21st century that, that are around us. And it's very easy for us in the church, I think, to get um, uh, to get um, uh, sidetracked with the institutional concerns. Uh, a friend of mine calls it majoring in minors. Oh, sure. <laughs> we get a lot of majoring in minors. And I mean, just, just look at the typical parish um, budget, for example, or where people spend their most time is mostly internal consumption. You know, it's 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 uh, it's keeping the building going. It's paying the rector's salary. It's doing all it's doing all these things to to preserve just the institution. Whereas uh, uh, you know, as the old saying goes, the church is the only institution that's called to benefit those who aren't here yet. <laughs> and that idea of mission, I think, is something that that we uh, that we uh, need need to be need to be uh, rediscovering and to, and to do that in a way that is um, going to meet the needs of folks today. Uh, Stephanie Spellers, uh, the the canon to the presiding bishop was here last night uh, at Virginia talking to us. And she has this new book out. I love the title of the book. It's called The Church Cracked Open. And, and I think that's a, a great uh, metaphor for, for what we need to do. And fortunately, you know, to, to make omelets, you have to crack eggs. And, and sometimes um, reimagining the church in different ways means changing. It means letting some things go or actually to die, <laughs> which is very hard. Yeah. Uh, but it means letting things go that, that we don't want to let go. I mean, we're very attached to them. But, but if we're going to be uh, effective, we, we, we have to let them. Let, let them go. So um, this making the main thing, uh, uh, being a witness to Jesus Christ in the 21st century is our, main, is our main challenge. And I think particularly shaped by history in both in COVID and also our own American history in the last, last few years, one of the things that we're going to have to come to grips with is uh, is diverse is a better sense of diversity than we've really done in the institutional church, and that you can think of all of the all of the things that have brought that to the fore in the, in terms of our own uh, racial struggles, which where we thought we were making progress and really aren't making that much progress, and and and, and we really have to come to grips with the with the. Uh, the racism that still exists, uh, not only in our society, but in our church. Uh, so that's going to be a big challenge for us. And, and the other is going to be the challenge of using technology. I mean, we, I think I just think of where what I do technologically compared to what I did two years ago, 
forced to do that by <laughs> by the COVID, but this gives us all kinds of wonderful opportunities. A friend of mine says it, it has kicked us 10 years into the future technologically, I think COVID did. And, and um, so I, I think that's exciting. As somebody who enjoys the area of communication, I'm excited about what we can do differently in terms of communication. I'm not sure anybody completely knows what that's going to look like yet. This yeah. is a very yeah. much... Uh, a work in progress. And, and I understand that although some churches have used technology in extremely creative ways in the last couple of years, a lot of churches, especially some smaller churches, are really struggling in this in this post, post-COVID time. So um, the good news for us, I think, at CDSP is, you know, here we're on the doorstep of the technological capital of the world mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. And, um, you know, I would hope in the future that CDSP, for example, would become the sort of the leader uh, of how you how you use technology in, in an effective way in the church, because it's 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 just it, there's so many great possibilities here for building building community and, and doing mission and getting the word out. Um, uh, a, f- a friend of mine, uh, was a cathedral dean, and one time during COVID, he discovered that he that he had on his sermon when he was preaching. You know, normally in church he'd have a couple of three hundred people. He didn't have any during COVID. But what he did have, to his dismay, is he found that around the world he had fifty thousand people listening to his sermon. Wow, which is just you know, mind-boggling. We both, so there are all kinds of wonderful things we can do with technology, and and I'd like to, I'd like to see CDSP at the forefront of that as time goes on because of yeah. the resources that are there, and of course Trinity too. Trinity Church has has for many years been a leader in in using technology. Yeah, this this very show is a uh, CDSP <laughs> Trinity co-production, and uh, and you know I think um, you know one one of the things you'll find is. Um, I think some creativity about thinking about that kind of stuff is is tied in some ways to the fact that we have this really uh, rich and sophisticated low residence program mm-hmm. where we've thought a lot about um, you know some of those questions and I feel I feel like it's like uh, when when the technology stuff impacts your classroom experience I think it has you know it sort of plants the seeds for thinking about how it can impact um, you know your your ministry experience as well yeah. yeah. I've always sort of believed that technology is morally neutral. Mm. Um, So you have to find out ways of using it to the good. I mean, it could be used. It it has bad aspects, too, to be sure. But it also has wonderful good aspects. So we have to we have to explore those more. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, what attracted you to the opportunity? Again, I think you hinted at some of this (laughs) earlier, but um, but tell us more about uh, why you were excited to uh, join us at CDSP. Well, um, it, it was an interesting story. It happened really quite quickly. I, I saw a press release uh, that said that um, uh, that CDSP's dean, uh, Mark, Mark Richardson, was retiring and that they were looking for an interim and eventually a new dean. And I sort of said something to my wife as we were taking a walk in the morning and I said, oh, that would be kind of interesting and to do that. And uh, she said, well, why don't you talk to Phil Jackson, uh, Reverend Phil Jackson, who used to work in Arizona. So I knew Bill from his time working in Arizona and always liked him. We got along great. And, and so I said, well, at least I should talk to him on the phone. So I, I called him and he said, it's funny. We were just talking about you. Hmm. And, um, 
and would you like to talk to some other people here at Trinity about this? And I said, yeah, sure. So a couple of days later, we had a conversation with a few other people and they were telling me about, about this opportunity. And I said, what, are, are you guys, are you guys interviewing me for this job? Because you're just talking to me, like I'm supposed to start doing these things. And they said, Oh no, we've decided you're it. (laughs) So I said, uh, okay. But, but the more I learned, the more I realized what a, what a terrific um, Kairos moment or moment of opportunity. This is for both institutions. I mean, uh, here, here is a seminary uh, with a long, distinguished uh, history and and tradition of, of of fine education of educating people for the church. Uh, it, it, because of all kinds of things, has to rethink that now. And uh, and here comes Trinity with their unbelievable history and their unbelievable resources, uh, looking for a partnership to move into the future. I mean. The, you couldn't you couldn't make this stuff up. I mean, this mm-hmm. is <laughs> this is an incredible moment of opportunity. I know it's a cliche moment of opportunity, but it 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 really is. I mean, to to have these two very strong, really very strong institutions in their own right coming together with an openness to the future, with an openness for some kind of new vision for the church. I mean, how could I resist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's too good to be true. So. So um, the more I talked with them, the more excited I got about them. And I'm, I'm very happy to be going and, and very excited about the, the possibilities. Now, that's probably going to lead you to another question, Kyle. And that is, uh, well, what do you hope to accomplish? Well, you know, I'm going to be there like a year. I'm just the interim after all, right? So um, you're going to say, well, what, you know, what, what do you want to do in a year? Well, I think one of, I don't want to have anybody to have unrealistic unrealistic expectations, including myself, of what's possible to do in a year. But I think one of the things that I, I can bring to the, the table is, uh, is helping them to um, be true to their core values, to, to dream big, to think about, you know, what is, what is it that we both bring to the table and how could we go forward together? I'm, I'm very impressed with a book that I read recently uh, by a, a woman named uh, Susan Beaumont who wrote this book called uh, how, uh, how to Lead When You're Not Sure Where You're Going. Mm. Well, it's all about leadership in, in an institution that's in transformation. Well, here's, a, here, here's an institution, CDSB, which is in, tr- in transformation. It's, it's going to be different and I think oh, better even than it's been in the, in the future. But nobody knows a exactly what that's going to look like. So you have to move into that future with a certain amount of, of courage and faith uh, to be sure. But one of the things that she says in the book, which I think is, is, is so important, is that you, you live in that liminal time by rediscovering what your, what your core identity is. And one of the ways you do that is that you look at the things that you've done well in the past. And you, and you think about how does that apply to the future? As we move into the future, what are those strengths that we can build on? And also realizing that, that leadership during a transitional time, like we're, like we're in, and it's not just CDSP, by the way, it's the whole church. <laughs> we're in a transitional time. Um, but when we're in that transitional time, it's extremely anxiety producing. You know, people are very anxious when it's not really clear 
where you're going. And uh, so one of the things that maybe I can hopefully bring to the table is what they used to call, I guess, a non-anxious presence, um, uh, a sense of, you know, we're, we're all in this together. We've all got something to contribute to this and, and we can do this. Uh, so um, uh, I think that's, that might be the biggest gift that I can bring to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you, uh, have you spent much time in the Bay area? Not very much. No, no, just the occasional tur- tourist visits. We're looking forward to spending some more time there. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, um, we like to, um, we like to end these conversations with, um, you know, some kind of, some kind of word of encouragement to the folks who are, who are joining us. So I wonder if you have a, uh, a message for the CDSP community or for the church writ large yeah, um, well, that's, uh, well, on your well. heart today? <laughs> no, I think my message to both is there, there are a couple of images that come to mind. One is I love the story about the feeding of the 5,000 because in that story, we're reminded again that when we bring the even the little gifts that we might, might have, that God can turn those into something unbelievably fabulous. And um uh, uh, I like. I, I believe that God has already given us everything we need to do to do the work of the church. We have we have it all, and, and especially in these in the case of these two institutions, we have an, an unbelievable amount of resources on both sides. So we have everything that that we need to do, and that we have everything that we need to do our work. Uh, and the other image that I, I like is this. I guess, fishing image too, about Jesus always calling us out into deeper waters, you know, to, to not be afraid to move out beyond the comfortable shoreline and to move in to new and exciting ways. And that when, when we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll find Jesus there, uh, just like the disciples did on the, on, on the Sea of Galilee. So that, I guess that's my message. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, that that we're always being called to new things and we're always being given enough uh, to do that work. Well, it's uh, two, two beautiful images. They're helping me feel uh, less anxious. And uh, I'm sure that um, I'm sure the community um, will appreciate your words. And I, I know that they are excited to meet you. So thank you so much for joining us for the show. And uh, we're looking forward as I'm, uh, as we're recording this, we're looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing you on campus in, in uh, just a few months. Great. Thank you, Kyle. Hope to see you soon. Yeah, thanks very much. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu. Mm-hmm.